Our second scripture reading is from the Gospel Luke, the third chapter, and is also found in your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Here ends our reading. What do you need to face on your way to peace? You individually and you collectively as a community, as a world, as creation, what do you need to face on your way to peace? John, the prophet who has made a friend of the wilderness, confronts us with this question. As we make our way toward Bethlehem on this third Sunday of Advent, John stops us. Calling his listeners to account, he shouts, You brood of vipers, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Stunned, the people begin asking, What are we to do? Care for one another's well-being. Give a coat to those who have none. Be honest. Take no more than your due. And don't exploit one another. And the crowds, filled with expectation, begin to wonder if he is the Messiah, this prophet who speaks with such authority, who doesn't respond in deference to those in positions of power. Perhaps he is the one we have been waiting for the one who will put things right again, the one who will bring peace. But John stops them, I am not the Messiah. Even so, humble human being that I am, I can still speak truth. 
and you also are capable. Do not assume hope and peace will only begin to come when someone else is born, when some anointed one is born. There is work to be done now. Reminding us, standing in humble obedience, human beings are remarkably capable. What do you need to face to come to peace? What do you need to face on your way and on the world's way to peace, if peace is to happen? It is not always the gentle road beneath the quiet stars of the sky we imagine. The way of well-being is not so simple. Whether it is an internal Goliath or one we meet in our external world. In the 50s, maybe early 60s, there was a young boy, eight or nine years old, who was given a new bicycle. Thrilled, he began riding around and around the block. Suddenly, an older kid walked up to him, grabbed his bike, and pushed him to the ground and said, I don't want to have to watch a Jew ride around the block. And lying there, he knew that if he didn't ride around the block again, he would feel like he had been defeated. So he said, I'm not going to fight with you now. That would be unwise. I am quite certain you could easily beat me up. But I am going to get on my bicycle, and I am going to ride around this block again. And if you stop me, you had better be prepared to kill me. And he looked at him right in the eye, and the older kid just walked away. The boy got back on his bicycle and rode around the block again and again and again until dusk came. And he never, ever was bothered by him again. It's amazing what human beings can do. What is it in us that might makes us able to rise again in the face of defeat? I asked my partner David this question as I was reveling in this story of young Dean Kamen, engineer and inventor portrayed in the documentary Slingshot. Beautiful that his story of innovation, his story of helping other people live full lives, began with something within him that rose up, unable to be defeated, I thought. David, taking a moment to respond, said, I imagine the part of the story that isn't told is that it wasn't the first time he had been being bothered by the kids in the neighborhood. It's never as simple as it appears. Fitting, if David's right, I suppose. For Dean's innovations were preceded by a great deal of frustration, roadblocks, and failure. And even so, this is a person who humbly and remarkably has done great things. 
Dean came and made a lifelong project of helping those in need, increasing their well-being through the gifts he'd been given, problem-solving through physics and technology. Though he is best known for inventing the Segway, an offshoot of a scooter used to help those who've lost the ability to walk, his latest project has been the Slingshot, a portable water filtration system. According to Cayman, unclean water is responsible for 50% of hum human illness in the world. So he went to work trying to get clean water to 200 plus countries. He made prototypes of the Slingshot and started sending them out to just a few places at first. He soon realized getting people clean water was more complicated than just sending them the filtration systems. There was a need for education. Just because the people were given clean water didn't mean it would stay that way. If the people used something contaminated to carry it, it would become contaminated water. And if there were 200 plus countries to give clean water, then there were 200 plus ways of successfully implementing it. Out of his depth, he began realizing he needed partners who had the skill to successfully distribute these water filtration systems. So he went to the UN. He went to the World Health Organization. He went to NGOs. He went to all these places thinking they would be the ones to help. And they all said, no, well, we'd be happy to give you some money and invest in this. This is a great thing. But no, that's not what we do. Eventually, he realized that there was an organization that has a huge distribution network across many countries. Coca-Cola. <laughs> so he went to them, and they agreed to help him distribute these clean water devices and to do it in a way that would be functional for the people. This, of course, was something that they had in it for themselves. In part, they were doing it because they had a bad reputation they needed to fix of ruining people's water. And they also wanted Dean to help in some of their own engineering projects. So they did it in a kind of a trade. In discussing this choice, Dean acknowledges the discomfort this might bring to people. There are many who feel very clear that Coca-Cola and big business is bad. And there are people who also hold the opposite view. Those who think business is the answer. They are both, he says, simple answers. And we like simple answers. But they do not encapsulate a full picture. And, he says, it's unproductive to just point fingers at who is the problem, who is to blame, who is the evil one. That instead, we can look for what is the best that big businesses have, what is the best that venture capitalists have, what is the best that governments have, what is the best that NGOs have, and put that together to solve a problem. The way to peace is not so simple. 
We are prone to scapegoating, coming close together, forming a false sense of intimacy, ending harm to one person, one part of ourselves, one group, by stealing the humanity of another. Our first reading from the prophet Zephaniah was the final of nine oracles. The first eight in that book are a series of oracles of doom, and the ninth is a hymn of salvation. Throughout the book of Zephaniah, juxtapositions are held together. There is, as one scholar points out, Jerusalem, the unfaithful and corrupt placed along Jerusalem, the city of universal rejoicing and justice. There is Jerusalem of violence and Jerusalem of peace. And facing this reality, with all the tension that it entails, in the end, the people are gathered and embraced by God as they sing in song with one another. This is not cheap peace. What must they have had to face on the way there? This is the season of preparing the way. And perhaps, as a gift from the ancients, it is also filled with song. A wise woman has recently said that seeing with others is a form of peacemaking. When you sing, you create something together. The dissonance and the harmony have its place. You have to listen to one another. It is a move into action, just as it is to get back onto a bike, to provide a warm coat or clean water, and to choose to see the light even in the scapegoat. When you stand in humble obedience to God, how are you called to respond? <laughs>